You'll often hear in the marketing and startup world that targeting everyone is like targeting no one. That's because targeting everyone mostly doesn't work. No one identifies with your product, and when you're a startup, that usually means no one buys. Many fintech products are essentially applicable to everyone, or a lot of different industries, and it's tempting to therefore market to everyone. But obviously, this mostly doesn't work. So one way to approach this is to segment your marketing, also called account-based marketing, which is essentially highly targeted marketing. This is what Argyle, a B2B fintech company based in New York, does with their own marketing. Argyle provides a single global access point to employment data. That means providing the worker with a single overview of all their employment history and therefore allowing businesses to examine a worker based on their various income sources. You know how you have an Apple or Android wallet for all your flight tickets? Imagine that, but for income sources and employment history. ABM is a big part of their marketing mix. And in today's chat, I'm talking about exactly that with their head of marketing, Eva Sassoon. She comes from a developer marketing background and has been with Argyle for over a year. We chat about the difference between developer APIs and fintech APIs, how Argyle is cutting through the noise with content and how they've managed a fully distributed team since 2018. A very interesting episode for fellow B2B fintech marketers. I hope you enjoy. So Ava, my my first question to you is, what was the trigger that made you realize you wanted to work in fintech marketing? I didn't actively decide that I wanted to work in fintech. Fintech found me. I come from a developer marketing background and an API marketing background. Having come from three, before this, three developer-facing tools, two of which are APIs. And Argyle is an API in the fintech space. And so it was my fintech background that led me to Argyle or led Argyle to me. And um, now that I've been working in fintech for over a year, I've been the head of marketing at Argyle for almost 15 months now. And I definitely want to stay in fintech because it's a super disruptive space that's modernizing legacy systems that have existed for a long time in a way that really benefits people. And so there is a societal benefit to a lot of the fintech infrastructure that's being built that can improve people's daily lives um, with, without necessarily them needing to be aware of the infrastructure improvements. It's just sort of the like invisible it's like the invisible perfection of people's user experiences with the current system. And it's a system that can be historically very frustrating for people. Yeah. And you especially do that with Argyle, right? Like it's, it's very invisible in that sense, right? Yes. Um, it's interesting that you come from a developer marketing background because obviously a big part of fintech is APIs. And as we said, like the structure, how, how do you feel that's benefited you? Because obviously we talk to people like in, who are marketing fintech companies that come from more of a marketing background or, yeah, that in general, whereas you come from a developer and then you became a marketer. So how do you feel that's helped you in the fintech space? Being able to understand the technical nuances of a product can mm. really help when working with product teams. And if you understand why product decisions were made and how product decisions were made, that can be helpful in terms of making 
decisions around how you want to position something, how you want to talk about something, acting as the translator between what you're hearing from your product and engineering teams and how you want to position it to the market. I don't think that you necessarily need to come from a technical or developer background to do well in B2B fintech marketing. But I do think that that background of mine has helped me and just being able to speak a little bit more of a technical language um, with APIs, whether it's developer, completely developer-facing APIs or APIs that is a vertical specific like fintech, having really solid documentation is very important for customers to be successful with using your solution. And that was one of the biggest takeaways from the three other workplaces of mine was just the importance of documentation, the importance of looking in the analytics of the documentation. What pages are people on? How are they using it? How how are the docs helping in people's decision-making and how are they helping them when they're trying to implement something and might be getting stuck? And that can tell you that you might need to do more marketing around certain areas. So that lens of the importance of technical documentation and technical writing, I think, served me quite well because you are speaking to multiple audiences and there's the buyer and the user and the buyer and the user aren't necessarily the same person but you That's need true. to reach them you need to, and you need to you need to be able to give both of them um the tools that they need to be successful with using your solution yeah and from what i understand when it comes to marketing or or selling a product to developers they have to love the product for your customer to implement it so for your they're, they're not the decision maker probably but they have they're the ones who are going to implement it they have to love it and without their support, yeah. without them championing you when they when when eventually you get to the decision maker, without that, then you won't be able to sell. So that's why being developer first is so important, right? Is that right? Exactly. And having a, a simple simple experience for your customers, developers is just better for their business. Um, yeah. If the developers are struggling through implementation, it doesn't make you look good. It's expensive for them to get you implemented, and you want all of the touch points with your customer, regardless of who the user persona is or the title is, to have a really positive and easy and straightforward experience. Yeah, for sure. So let's talk. About, let's uh, begin our like three segment uh, section that we usually do on this podcast, where we start with uh, talking about like customer acquisition, lead acquisition, and then we'll talk about messaging, branding, and then finally hiring and building a team. So, customer acquisition. Just to kind of make it clear. Who exactly is Argyle targeting or who who are you marketing to? Yeah, we have a range of um, people who we are targeting and marketing to. The umbrella of all of these people is financial services. Um, It's people who make underwriting decisions, people who make credit decisions, people who offer all sorts of loans, big to small, from a cash advance to a mortgage. There's also people in the insurance space, in the tax space, in the auto leasing space um, who can all benefit from Argyle's technology as well. Neobanks, there's a wide array of different potential audiences who can use different pieces of Argyle's product. So it's like B2B2C in financial services. Exactly. B2B2C financial services. Yeah, cool. We're the B2B chunk of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And exactly. then and then we're we're targeting B2C financial service companies. And so how what what does your marketing mix look like? Like how are you getting in front of these people at the moment? 
Well, I can tell you a little bit about what the, our team structure looks like. Sure. And I think every part of the team is really crucial to getting in front of the customer. Um, but we sort of have a mix of content owned and earned. So content that we write ourselves, that we publish on our blog, earned through our public relations team that we work with. And then on the growth side of things, developing our channels. And that's how I approach customer acquisition is really you have your content and you have your channels. And it's about using your content and your channels to to reach the person that you're trying to reach with the message that they need to hear or that that will help them. And um, it's all kind of relying on having a good product. And if your product is something that somebody needs, it's just about telling it to them in a way that they can understand how this can help them. And if it's not going to help them, then there's no use trying to force something because you want you, you want them to have a good experience and be bought into the right bought into the value and the solution that you're offering them. So that's the approach that we take is developing really great content, content that can educate people and offer people solutions to problems that they might be running into and then leveraging our channels to get it in front of them. And from what I understand, you do quite a bit of account-based marketing, which essentially means personalizing your marketing for a very specific segment because you are targeting such a you know, high amount, high number of different entities in the financial service sector that kind of doing ABM allows you to really uh, focus on one, right? So talk to us a bit about what, how you're approaching ABM and, and what does that look like with content yeah. and PR and all that? Well, taking it back to the developer marketing versus fintech marketing when you have one large audience, there's one message or one solution that can really help that audience. And so you don't really need to be as segmented. Obviously, the more segmented you can get, the better. But with fintech, I think one of the things that makes fintech unique is that there's so many nuances. And because of that, we had to tailor our message because people have very different use cases. If you are a small neobank that is up and coming, or if you are a established mortgage lender, your needs are a little bit different. You can still use both, both companies can use Argyle to help improve their processes, save time and money. But what they need to hear to understand what you do and the benefit that we offer them is different. And so we've taken a vertical approach in terms of creating some swim lanes of our different audiences to be able to offer them value when we're reaching out to them. And I would say that's my biggest pet peeve with marketing is when it's not segmented enough to offer value to someone because that's when it's like, oh, I'm getting all these emails in my inbox and it feels like spam or like there's advertising in my face. And you don't ever want someone to have a negative experience with your brand. And so the more targeted you can get, to offer them content that's quality, that they care about, that's interesting, that teaches them something, is making their time that they spend with your brand worthwhile. And it's almost like you're giving them a positive ROI on the time that they're spending with your brand. And that is ultimately not just good for your brand, but it's good for conversion because um, they're understanding how they can draw value from what you're offering. So how does that look like in practice? Like, what are some examples? If I'm a, a lender, a potential Argyle 
customer, how would I manage to read that content? How would you be reaching out to me? Yeah. What, what does that look like in practice? So we um, are one of our channels that we use is email. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, that can only reach an existing audience. So for people who are already in our databases, people who we've already met or talked to or have inquired about us at some time, we use email to reach those people. Other than that, we use LinkedIn. It's a great targeting platform, um, different types of ad platforms, partner marketing, um, different types of leveraging partner channels is also a way of kind of leveraging like existing networks. And I think the, for any B2B marketer, the biggest like hidden channel is your sales team. Your sales team is like the your best asset um, when it comes to content and channels that uh, they are on the ground. They're seeing firsthand what people are talking about, what questions people are asking. So in terms of building great content, the more you can lean on your sales team and really listen to your sales team and listen to what they're saying and what they're experiencing, the more that your content will will resonate because you're aligned with the market and leveraging existing like sales networks is also a great way to really reach people. And so sometimes this is called sales enablement. <laughs> That's a, kind of what sales enablement is, right? Is um, building content to equip your sales team. But also what it is, is it's a channel to reach someone who's interested in you already. And so you can be quite segmented in terms of what you're telling them because you know that there's someone who's already engaged. And so you can go a little bit more in depth and a little bit deeper with what you're explaining to them and what you're telling them. Yeah, I can definitely see that when I go to the Argyle blog. And I kind of wanted to mention this because I go to most B2B blogs and unfortunately the content is very beginner, uh, which usually means it's they've, they've thought of SEO traffic, but they haven't thought further than that. They haven't thought of conversions. Uh, but the Argyle blog is very much like definitely uh, designed for a more advanced reader who understands this space. And um, and like, you know, it, the design is great. Like as a content marketer, it was like, oh, this is so nice to read. <laughs> so um, obviously you've put a lot of th- thought into content. And um, yeah, I just wanted to to hear kind of what is your process? Like, do you rely on on what the sales team tells you and then create content? How what does your content creation process look like? We have a very organic content creation process. Um, it comes from all over. We we on the marketing team we listen to all sides of our business. Everyone's idea is is something that we think of as being a good idea and offering some type of value to our content engine. Um, and we try to keep a mix of different types of content that we put on our blog, which is one of the things you might be speaking to with our different tabs. But um, keeping people updated on product mm. is really important. So we like to go really deep into the, our product and updates that are being made. Um, from a thought leadership standpoint, we have a strong point of view on our industry and what we're doing. And what's wrong with the status quo and kind of how, how the better alternatives unlock value for so many people. And so we like to slew in some, or like, like to weave in thought leadership pieces um, in addition to pieces about our product, sort of industry specific content. And um, we're just 
we're seeing a, a lot <laughs> happen in the market and there's things in regulation that are changing when it comes to rights about data privacy. And that's something we also have an opinion about. It's part of our mission to make data ownership in the hands of people as opposed to data being able to be transferred without consent of the individual whose data it's about. Um, and so all of these different topics we like to write about. Yeah. So have you seen, are are you able to, see, have you seen like a good, um, res- good results from content? Like, are you able to track indirectly if the content is resonating? What what have been the results? What were, yeah. What were yeah, definitely. We always look at the analytics of what's happening with our content, um, both kind of page views and time on page. Like are people reading it? What are people clicking on? What are people interested in? Um, and I I once heard a content marketer tell me their philosophy on content building, which I thought was a good way to think about it, that you have your sort of evergreen, you have your evergreen content, and then you have your sort of moments. Um, and the content that's really specific to a certain moment, whether it's like a political event or a reg- kind of a regulatory event that happened or um, something that you might be responding to those pieces of content generally get you a more immediate spike in traffic because Mm. they're generally a little bit more buzzy and there's a little bit of an urgency around what is being said in there. So you can see a a larger spike in traffic for those types of timely pieces, but they're less evergreen. So their shelf life is a little bit shorter. And then um, content that is more evergreen is something that's a little bit more foundational um, or kind of involves like deep education about a certain area is something that you won't see an initial spike the same way, but something that's like the gift that keeps giving. It's something that's continuously useful. Yeah. And so I think it's important to take that approach when evaluating content. Sometimes there's this urge in marketing to look at the ROI of everything and measure the ROI of everything. Yeah. And there's a certain content piece that can offer your business a lot of value and offer your customers a lot of value, but you're not going to be able to measure that in a week or two weeks or even a couple months. And it just sort of comes from giving it a little bit of time to understand how people are engaging with it. That's true. I've also noticed that you have several, do you get everyone in the team to write? Like I've noticed that it's mostly people, is it in-house, mostly people in-house who are writing the articles? So um, we give authorship to a lot of different people in the company. It's a really nice way for marketing to be able to build connections with lots of other people internally. And uh, it's a great way to offer recognition for different people's works. And so even you'll you'll see a bunch of different names on our blog. Um, marketing has written pretty much every piece. We source information and ideas from everybody on the team. And we love to give credit to everyone on the team, give recognition. You'll notice that there's very few marketing pieces that are under marketers' names because the way that I see it is that the blog is also a culture builder and Argyle is a remote organization. We exist over 23 countries. So we don't get a lot of opportunity to be together in person. And the blog is one place that people can come together and people can feel seen. Um, People's work can be appreciated. It's a sort of public facing thing that someone can feel proud of. They can feel like they're recognized and offers a little bit of visibility into different people in the org and what they're focused on. And so 
the blog is also something that I feel really strongly should be used as an internal tool for culture building and team building and offering people recognition, making them feel important because everybody is, everybody in the org is contributing and has a unique perspective. And so it's a place that that can be reflected. Yeah. Well, I I love that. And I think that, I think that's the way it should be done, actually. So marketing's role is to kind of communicate the, the soul of the company, which is, you know, more like sales or the owners or whatever. And marketing's job is to kind of like, yeah, communicate whether it's answering questions or opinion or whatever it is um and so by getting everyone involved you're able to not only you know you're literally a subject matter expert you're able to get like the insights from people inside the company but you're also in a way bringing everyone together so that's why it's cool to see it live in practice um because i i don't know I, i do read a lot of b2b blogs and i don't see it very often so it's really it's cool to see it it's cool to see it in action and I recommend listeners to to check out the blog. I'll put I'll, I'll put the the link in the show notes so everyone can can see it. So let's move to messaging and branding. So the main thing here, well, the thing that I'm curious about here is because I feel like Argyle. Once you understand what Argyle does, it's easy to understand. But there is a little bit of a mountain, I would say, in understanding exactly the power of Argyle and how how it works. Um, so how have you how have you managed to overcome that kind of let's just say, education barrier, I guess, when it comes to building a brand and kind of communicating to potential customers? I wish I could say that we've, <laughs> we're at a point. Um, it's a constant learning. Um, I, I think in, up until you get to be a certain size of a business, it's good to be malleable with your your descriptions, how you're talking about yourself. You don't always get it right the first time. And so in terms of how you explain Argyle, I would say it's it's almost an ABM approach. <laughs> if true. You will. That's, that's true. How I yeah. how I explain what I do to my family is very different from how I explain Argyle to someone who's in fintech or someone who's technical or someone who's in finance. And so I think there for a product that is a little bit more complicated or has a little bit more of an industry or technical nuance, um, there's not a blanket statement that necessarily works. And it's about like refining the pitch, continuously refining the pitch, learning, getting better. Um, If something doesn't resonate, really understanding why that thing doesn't resonate. If you said something that's confusing, what was confusing about it? Why was it confusing? And that can help you learn to make it better the next time. Yeah, I guess so you're just saying basically just change it a little bit. I think that makes sense. Like every segment, every industry, you describe it using different words. And yeah, is there any other way that you're kind of trying to, I don't know, in terms of getting yourself out there? Like when you're at Money 2020, for example, like what what was the kind of messaging? What were you telling others when you were at Money 2020? Money 2020 was an audience that was a little bit more familiar with what we did. And so with that, it required a little bit less explanation. And I think that's where that's where we're hoping to go is, and that's actually where content really fits in, is that when people become more familiar with your concept, you can explain it in less words because they already have a little bit of context and knowledge coming in. And it's the... It's that context bit <laughs> that you need to build up. And so um, there's a lot of market education that that is done before you get to that point. And when you're 
building something completely disruptive, there's not always the words to talk about it yet. You need to build the vocabulary for how to talk about it. Yeah. So you're 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 literally pushing the market at the same time. You're a category leader trying to be exactly. like, trying to be a category leader while also at the same time, you know, acquiring customers and all the rest. So that's what makes it exactly. Harder. And the um the way that sometimes we think about it is that when driverless cars started, it was a completely new concept. The word driverless car didn't have much meaning in the beginning because it was like driverless car. What? Yeah. Uber, <laughs> what is for that? Example. Uber also. Yeah. Yeah. When Ubers started. And so we're in a little, I mean, our, our business is only a few years old. Our, the The space that we're in is quite young. And before we can talk about what Argyle is kind of necessarily, people need to understand sort of the context. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's so this would be a good example of where like SEO would probably not work very well because there are no keywords really that anyone is putting into Google and searching for. Like this is I always use the example of Uber in that, you know, when Uber first started, people were not looking up on Google, you know, get me to be fast. It was just, I mean, mm-hmm. to be fair, they still aren't. So SEO would probably, in, in, in the content marketing world, it, it might not work. Um, so for yeah. Argyle, would and you agree with that? That it just, there's no keywords really? Yeah, absolutely. And there is a, there one of our kind of biggest value props right now that we're seeing is resonating in the market is giving people continuous access into, into an account or into data with the consent of the user. And that's an entirely new concept in this space. Like when transfer of information was fax machines or transfer of information was pay stubs in a PDF that were uploaded into an email or a sent or even a phone call um, to, to verify someone's information, there is no ability to have an ongoing connection to live real-time information. And so this concept is completely new. It offers tremendous value for the audience that we're speaking to, but most people don't have the concept of it yet. And so um, we did look at at SEO terms. Um, There was nothing. It's like a completely new concept. We're making up the vocabulary for how to talk about it. And that's where content marketing becomes so crucial because you need to define your terms. You You can't use just like short, pithy messaging with no explanation when you're making up a whole new vocabulary for how to talk about something. And um, one of the things we do try to do as much as we can is use vocabulary that people already know, language that people know and use. Mm-hmm. But then there's also a certain element of we're, we're doing something disruptive, which is completely new. And so you need to educate people about what that is. So how does that work from a from a, a perspective of pain points? Because when I start doing like marketing strategy, the first thing I look at is customer pain points. But in this case, it sounds like the customers don't even know they have a pain point often, right? Yeah. <laughs> so how, how are you trying to, sometimes? How are you trying to like what what are the pain points that you're aiming for and what are you yeah, where are you even starting with that? Yeah. The the legacy systems of um kind of time and place data just isn't the most effective way for people to be running their businesses in the financial sector. And so Um, We take a very value-based approach of describing describing the value of what you can get from an approach or a solution as opposed to sort of trying to sell what it is. 
because people won't necessarily understand. And it kind of comes back to the technical marketing side of things. But the more you can break something down, the more you can use metaphors to describe situations, the better people will be able to grasp and envision it. And if people have a vision for how what you're doing can make their lives better or kind of life maybe is a little bit like overstated, but, you know, make them more effective, make them more efficient, make them happier in their day-to-day, make their businesses grow, the objectives that they're trying to hit that make them look good. Yeah. Um, If you can offer them the ability to do that, then you're making them a superhero. And that was actually a Twilio concept um, that I picked up while I was there on the developer marketing team at Twilio, which was make your user a superhero, um, figure out what it is that they're trying to achieve mm-hmm. and give them the tools to do that. And you're you're making them a superhero. And so I think the same thing applies here, which is like, what is, what is it that these people need to achieve? And what about our solution can help them do it better? And how can you tell them about this um, and, you know, improve improve their situation? Because that's, I mean, that's the goal of, that should be the goal of any um, any successful product is to improve the situations for the customers who are using and buying your solution. Yeah, for sure. And and I, I remember seeing in, um, in an interview with uh, your CEO, I think he was saying that Obviously, a big part of Argyle is getting rid of those like legacy systems of PDFs, Excel. But apparently, it's quite hard to get companies um, to stop using PDFs. And they know it's expensive and they know it's complicated and inefficient, but they're so used to it and they're so like they know it works and, and they're comfortable that it can be hard to convince them to change. Is that something that you've also yeah habits are really hard to break (laughs) and um your buyer and your target audience are people too like all of us are people and we can get stuck in our ways we have habits habits are super hard to break and there's also some comfort in using a legacy system there's a little bit less risk Mm -hmm. um perceived risk with using a legacy system because you know it's, this is how it's always been done. Um, and so there is a lot of like, this is how it's always been done. This is how things are done. And we're coming and saying there's a different way. And so there's a little bit of trust involved too in bringing on a new solution. And that's another, I mean, just bringing it back to content. That's another big goal yep. of content and marketing is building trust that you are an organization that is worth taking a risk on if it was just as if it was just as easy as like th- giving the value and people being like oh good this is great <laughs> then mm-hmm. then um disrupting a, a legacy system is a, much more complicated than innovating something that's already been innovating and so there's also a just an amount of like patience that you have to have with people you have to meet people where they are um you can't take a you centric approach because if you just keep talking about how great you are people aren't really going to care. Um, it's all about how how you're going to change what they're doing from their alternatives for the better. And um, some organizations are more open to change and some are more resistant to change. Yeah. Sounds like your 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 biggest competitors are actually Excel and PDFs, 
right? Rather than... Oh, we always say that. We yeah. always say that our biggest competitor is that button that says upload your pay stub. Oh, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, so it's just, uh, well, it's what we said before, right? It's, it's That's the, the price you have to pay to be a category leader, right? Is to overcome those legacy and also obviously educate the entire market while you're building a business. So yeah, it makes sense. So let's talk about hiring and building a team. I think um, it's it's really interesting what you're doing at Argyle with being so distributed, 23 countries, right? And you've got like over 100 people, right? In your team in over 23 yeah. countries. How, how is that? How's it working? How how have you managed to to do it all distributed? It is a wild ride. Um, we are completely pandemic proof, cool. which I think has helped us. <laughs> yep. um, the fact that when the pandemic hit and everyone moved to remote work that we were already established as a remote organization and didn't even have offices that we needed to close... I think it helped us and has helped us scale because we already had the infrastructure established. Not only are we a remote distributed org, we're also pretty asynchronous. Mm -hmm. So with being in 23 countries, we also are spread out over many time zones. And I think time zones is one of the biggest challenges to it. And that also requires a lot of trust in your colleagues. Mm. And we communicate a lot asynchronously. And so people leave each other messages and there's not an expectation for someone to respond immediately. You have to be a little bit more independent. And with that comes autonomy. So our culture is very much built on trust. It's very much built on autonomy. There is no micromanaging because you literally can't. And and it's we also just don't believe that that's an effective way of growing and scaling a culture. And so there's a lot of trust that people own the areas that they own. And um, there's this approach that I've really appreciated about working at Argyle is that people are just really quick to help each other. Um, there's really a feeling that like we're one team even though we're spread out across so many areas, like we're all working towards the same mission. We're all sort of building the same solution together. And we do have a very mission-driven ethos in our org internally. And so everyone's really quick to help each other, point each other to resources, sometimes hop on a quick call, although we generally are not super meeting heavy as an org because of the time zones. Nice. Um, And... um... So you've you've mentioned a few of the benefits and another one would be talent, right? You you obviously have access to a lot more talent because I mean I the reason why I have this segment on this episode is because one of the biggest challenges marketers are facing currently is building a team, like finding the talent. And how, do you feel that you know being distributed has really helped with access to to talent? Absolutely. Yeah. And I um I really feel that I've built a world-class marketing team at Argyle. It's a part of what I've done that I'm most proud of is um, the team. And I'm based in San Francisco and I'm the only one (laughs) in San Francisco. Everyone else on my team is in different parts of the country. And that's definitely been a benefit that people can work from wherever they want because you're not, you're just not limited. Yeah, that's awesome. There was a, a tip that your that your founder mentioned in a in, if, in an interview that I really liked, so I kind of wanted to share it for the listeners. Which is, um, every time someone new uh, joins a company, well, uh, the team asks them three people that you enjoyed working with the most, 
right? As a referral, kind of. And then you kind of hire mostly from people that you know. I don't know if that's still, you're still doing that. But I was wondering if, uh, I thought it was a really cool tip. So basically hire from people that, you know, the three better, best people that you know, ask them that when someone new joins a team and then, you know, that's how you get new people. Do you see, how have you seen that benefiting you uh, as a team member? I think that kind of the heart of the heart of that has to do with trust. Mm-hmm. And there's something that is trustworthy about having worked with someone. There's also True. a benefit of that when it comes to onboarding. Onboarding in remote companies is a very different than onboarding in an in-person environment and getting into your working groove with other people can take some time. So bringing in people who you've already worked with can be great. That being said, I'm, I take like, even though it's, it's not my personal doing, I take pride in the Argyle organization that we are a super diverse org across a lot of cultures. And so we have managed to scale a very diverse organization. We, as an company speak a large handful of languages. We have this listed somewhere on our website. We ask people what languages they speak. Some people come in speaking four languages and nice. we you know, speak 30 languages. We have lots of different holidays, both religious holidays and company holidays. And that's a really exciting part about our culture. And I think that's part of being a distributed remote organization. And it's part of leveraging a referral network with an existing diverse organization. And so where I do think that that's a really nice philosophy, it's worked for us because we existed already in our early founding days as already being a distributed, remote, and diverse organization. So we were able to have that referral network be even more diverse. And I think the risk of only relying on referrals or leaning heavily into that as a as a team growth method is that if everyone comes from the same background or is in the same place, then your reach is a little bit more similar to your existing community. Yeah, that makes sense. And are there any activities that you do to actively kind of build culture? Like, uh, I don't know, um, retreats or something like that? Is that something you do? I've only been at Argyle in the pandemic. <laughs> so we haven't had that many opportunities for in-person. Um, since I've been at Argyle, there's still been restrictions on international travel. I know that this is a goal as things open up, is for us to all get together in person. I honestly cannot wait. I've worked with some amazing people over the last year and three months who I've never met in person. And so it would be really nice. We have had more like regional meetups in person. And whenever someone comes to a city, there's a few of us in San Francisco on different teams. Whenever someone comes to San Francisco, we always will take that person out to dinner. It's a really big celebration when you get to meet someone in person um, on Slack, which is our main communication channel internally or one of our main communication channels. Whenever there's a Argyle or in-person meetup of some sort, whether it's two people getting coffee or a larger like regional dinner or something like that, there's always photos that get sent and everyone's really excited about it. So there's definitely a community or a community culture of celebrating one another and kind of celebrating us as a community. And then we do do like virtual gatherings as well. We have once a week that we have a weekly all hands. That's the touch point for everyone. And that's a place for everyone to sort of be on the call at the same time. And that's been a really cool way to see our company's growth. 
Nice. Um, because when I started on that call, I think there was 18 people and now there's over a hundred. So calls changed. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's amazing. So you must be used to waking up early then for calls. <laughs> for certain yes. Calls. That's why this 8 a.m. wasn't such a big deal <laughs> okay, for me. Good, good I'm hear. always on at 8 a.m. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Well, um, well, thanks so much, Ava, for, for answering all my questions. I have one more, which is uh, you, you mentioned earlier you had a pet peeve. Uh, so I wanted to kind of hear... Um, what what would you like to see more of in the fintech marketing space? One of my favorite parts about fintech and about being a fintech marketer is the collaboration of different companies. Though it is a quite competitive and hot market right now, I've found that it's also quite collaborative cross-company and everyone's sort of working towards this larger goal and larger vision of things can be made better and especially if you're an infrastructure piece, you're never playing solo. Um, you're yeah. in someone's stack and there's other companies that are offering their solution in the same stack. And so the more that you can play nice with other businesses and create partnerships, create integrations that uh, build a better experience for your user base, the better that our industry as a whole is going to evolve. And so I think there's a little bit of like cross-company team collaboration which is one of my favorite parts about this space. And it's quite disruptive. It's quite novel. And so I've, I've seen that there's an energy towards coming up with a new solution together, trying to see how two products can fit together, how you're piecing this larger puzzle for the industry. And um, there's lots of different pieces that fill into that. And I guess on a, a kind of a maybe a more positive note, <laughs> I love the cross collaboration of different companies in marketing. And it's something that I am always excited to see. And I'm looking forward to partnering with more orgs to create better user experiences for people out there. Yeah. So more collaboration. That's what you're saying. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sweet. Great. Well, thanks so much, Eva, for coming on. I really appreciate you waking up early and uh, answering all my questions. And I look forward to um, following our girl's journey. Thank you and have a wonderful weekend and happy new year. Thank you for listening to this episode. You can find all the information and show notes over at fintechmarketinghub.com and then click on podcast. We've also got a fintech marketing Slack community where you can meet fellow fintech marketers and founders, ask podcast guest questions ahead of a show and attend exclusive online events with industry experts. We'd love to see you in there, hear your feedback and learn about the challenges you're currently facing in your role. To join, head to fintechmarketinghub.com forward slash Slack. That's all for today. See you in the Slack.